Corinthians chapter 10. Today we continue our sermon series, began last week, called Winning. How many of you are winning this morning? If you woke up with breath in your body, you're winning. If you can praise the Lord this morning, you are winning. Praise the Lord. And today we're going to continue that. We began last week by asking a question, who wins if you win? And I hope this week that you have had some time to really think about and reflect upon what that means. The battles that we face in life are never completely personal. They always affect somebody else. And if you win, others win with you. And if you lose, others lose as well. So if you think this morning, it doesn't matter. Uh, It does matter. It matters to God and it matters to your family. And it matters to the people around you. So uh, fight on in the name of the Lord. If you wouldn't mind, if you're not standing, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word as we honor the Word of God this morning. Second Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are already to, we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you this morning for the presence of the Holy Spirit amongst us. We honor you, Holy Spirit, and we say that we want to be led and spoken to by the Holy Spirit this morning. I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach and teach the word of the living God, and I ask that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation that they might receive the word of God and engraft it into their everyday life, that it might be fruitful in every area of their life. I ask that in Jesus' name, and the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to speak this morning about winning within. Say that with me. Winning within. You know, all victory begins within us. The victory that you and I are talking about when we talk about winning really begins with the inner man. And the truth is, friends, that if, if your body is healthy, but your inner man is sick, even a healthy body doesn't get much done. How many of you know that? But if your body is sick and your inner man is healthy, even a sick body can get some things done. And so it is important that you and I win the battles that go on within because the inner man really is the core of who you are. This body, this physical body is passing away. It is temporal. It is a temporary thing, and someday it's going to be gone. But the eternal part of you, the soul and the spirit of man, goes on forever. It endures forever. And often what we neglect most is what's going to last the longest. Sometimes we give a lot of attention to the exterior, and we don't deal with the inner man. And yet if the inner man is failing, if the inner man is struggling, if the inner man is in trouble, then the whole body is in trouble. In fact, the whole family is in trouble. Someone said, and I saw written on a plaque, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. Right? You know, you guys know what that means, right? 
If mama's inner man is not happy, nobody's happy. Now, that's true for all of us, though. It's not just true for mamas. It's true for dads and sons and daughters and everybody else. When you are in unrest in your spirit, there's unrest all around you. And, you know, some people, uh, hopefully not too many of you here this morning, but some people, they uh, affect, because of the uh, unhealthiness of their inner man, they affect the people around them. They're hard to live with. Now, I'm not making an altar call right now, and I'm not asking for you to volunteer who you, who you know that's hard to live with. But sometimes you become hard to live with when your inner man is out of place, when your inner man is out of peace with God. And so I want to share with you a few battlefields that you and I have to deal with and which God has guaranteed us victory in so that you can win in those areas. And when you win in your inner man, you can win in every other area of your life. When you are walking in the power of the Spirit, when you're walking in victory, when you're walking in the victory that God has given you for your inner man, that's going to affect every other area of your life. You're going to be a pleasure to live with and a pleasure to work with and a pleasure to worship with. And you're going to be um, a blessing to the people around you. And, and yet when you are losing in those areas, you're going to find yourself struggling for even the simplest of victories in your life. So I want us to learn what the Bible says about winning in our inner man. Now we have read the words of the Apostle Paul and Paul informs us that every one of us is in a fight. We're in a battle. The battle, the Bible teaches us, is not a physical battle. In fact, the Bible says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of the darkness that are in the air. You realize what that means is that you and I are not fighting each other. Your problem this morning is not your husband. It's not your wife. It's not your children. Say amen, somebody. Your problem, your fight is not with the people you live with or work with or worship with. Your problem is with the powers of darkness that have an agenda against your life. They want to rob you of your faith. They want to rob you of your peace. And you and I have victory over every power of the kingdom of darkness. Say amen in the house of God. So you, you, you and I need to know this. We're in a fight, and this is a spiritual fight. Good news is this morning that the scripture says that though we live in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh because the weapons of our warfare are spiritual. They are mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. That means that you and I are not helpless in this fight. We have actual weapons of spiritual power and spiritual authority, and these weapons are able to give us victory because they come from the very presence of God. They are the weapons of God Himself. Now, there are three battlefields that you and I have to deal with, and if you have something to take notes on, I want you to take some notes this morning. And if not, just go back and listen to this podcast because inevitably, I'm going to say too much this morning for you to digest all at once. Uh, but I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will get to you what you need this morning. And then when you re-listen to this or you go back over your notes, you're going to be able to get a little deeper into this process. But three battlefields within. These battlefields are a part of every person's life. And the first one that Paul talks about uh, right here in this text is strongholds. Somebody say strongholds. 
Now, the word stronghold is not a word that we use very often in 21st century America, but basically it's a fortress. A stronghold, uh, it's an old, uh, an ancient word that would refer to a castle or a place of refuge. And if you've ever had the opportunity to visit a fortress or a stronghold, you will recall that sometimes, usually a stronghold had walls that were about four to five feet uh, wide at the least. And so they were made to be strong. They were made to be impenetrable. And Paul uses this word stronghold to define the, uh, the way that the enemy works in the life of people in, and in particular in the life of believers. And so strongholds are an area that you and I have to address in our life. You say, Pastor Isaac, what is a stronghold? Well, very simply, a stronghold is a pattern of thinking. It is a way that you and I think about things that creates a fortress for the enemy to dominate a certain area or a certain part of our life. And these strongholds, the Bible says, they raise up themselves against the knowledge of God. So basically a stronghold is something, it's a thought that the enemy uses to contradict the word of God in your life. Now, you say, Pastor, really? Is it all, is that all that it is? It's a thought? You know, friends, that your thoughts are so powerful that they can bring bondage or freedom into your life. The Bible tells us that as a man thinks, so is he. And so if you adopt the thoughts of the enemy, then the enemy is going to form strongholds in your life. And those strongholds become um, a place that is difficult to break free from or to break out of. And the Bible calls them arguments. And basically what it is is the enemy puts a thought in your mind to argue against God. And this thought, sometimes these thoughts go like this. Well, uh, God uh, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus forgives sins, but he can't forgive my sin. That is a thought that's going to lead to a stronghold. And if you start to adopt that thought, and some people have adopted this way of thinking that says, God can't forgive me. God can't change me. Now, I have sinned too much. I have sinned too greatly. I don't have the opportunity for forgiveness. Or maybe God forgave me once, but he won't take me back again. That begins to form a stronghold. And that thought process becomes a place for the enemy to rule and reign in that person person's life. Uh, other strongholds may be uh, someone who says, you know what, I'm no good. I'm not worth anything. All there is in my life is shame. Everything I touch falls apart. And these thoughts become, become a stronghold in a person's life to where that person constantly is watching their life go downward because they have adopted the system of thinking of the world and they have adopted a demonic system of thinking that contradicts what God has said and it contradicts what the word of God is. And so the Bible tells us that we must take every one of these thoughts captive in obedience to Christ. How do you deal with a stronghold? You come against a stronghold by arresting it with the, with, in, in, with the authority that you have been given in the name of Jesus. And basically you, you doubt your doubts and you contradict your contradictors by reminding yourself what God has said and putting God's word above your circumstances and God's word above the doubt and the fear that is in your life. So that when the enemy comes to you and says God can't forgive you, you need to find 
fight back with the word and say, in the name of Jesus, I come against you. I arrest that thought. You can't stay in my mind. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I have been forgiven. I've been washed clean by the blood of the lamb. Come on, somebody. And I have the forgiveness of God. And I have peace with God through the blood of his cross. When the enemy comes to tell you you're no good, you need to come back and hear at him and say, I am blessed and highly favored by God. Tell him, devil, the Lord didn't make any junk. When he made me, he made me good and he made me blessed and I am his child. Come on, somebody. And when you start contradicting, that stronghold begins to fall apart. When you contradict the word of the enemy with the word of of God. You know, sometimes, especially right now, where, where South Texas is uh, right now going through this uh, disaster, I want you to be very careful the language that you adopt in these, in these weeks that we're going through because it's going to be a long term process for some people. You know, some people lost their house. Other people uh, actually lost their lives. Some people have lost a job. But I want you to be very careful not to adopt language like this. Because sometimes when crisis comes into your life, it may not be just a hurricane. Sometimes it could be a divorce. It comes into your family. Sometimes it could be the loss of a loved one. And we start saying things like this. I've lost everything. I don't have anything. I don't have anywhere to begin. And those thoughts at the beginning, they begin, they start out seeming like they're just innocent statements of the obvious. But if you let them in your mind long enough, they start to frame a fortress around your mind that leads you to believe that for the rest of your life, this is how it's going to be. I want you to understand this, that long as you're living, you can't say I've lost everything. And even after you've died, when you go into heaven, you've got more than you had here on earth. So don't ever say, don't ever say I've lost everything. Don't ever say my life is over. Don't ever say I'll never get back up. Don't ever say this is the end for me. This is the end of the road. I want you to come back and say today is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. God has a better plan for me. He knows the plans that he has for me. They are for good and not for evil to give me a future and a hope. You look at that, contra- at that, at that circumstance that's contradicting the promises of God in your life. And you fill your mouth with the word of the living God. Because when you do that, you now start building a different kind of stronghold. You start building a stronghold of faith. You start building a fortress of faith that says, uh, I am going to stand on the assurance of God's word. Sometimes the enemy will come and he will contradict God like this. He'll say, well, if God was good, this thing wouldn't have happened. If God was good, this uh, storm wouldn't have come. If God was good, you wouldn't be going through this problem in your marriage. If God were, were blessing you, you wouldn't have lost your job. And if you give space to that thought, to those arguments, they come against God, they will begin to form a stronghold. So what you have to do is challenge those by reminding yourself of what God has already clearly stated in his word. And so when tragedy strikes, you look at that and say, you know, God, I don't understand what this is about. I don't understand why that you allowed this, but I'm going to trust you anyway. I'm going to stand on your promises anyway. I'm going to wait for your good hand anyway, and I'm going to watch you see this thing through to the end. Now there's another area, uh, uh, another battlefield that you and I have to deal with within, and that is the battlefield of iniquity. 
Now, stronghold is something from the enemy that comes against you from without. Uh, the enemy tries to bind you within. But an iniquity is something that we are born with. And this word iniquity, it's really an old, uh, old King James word. We don't use it at all anymore. But this is what it means. An iniquity is a pattern of sin that is passed down through the generations of your family. And there are many times iniquities that linger in a family. You, you can think about certain families. Uh, maybe you think about your own family. You can see the pattern of iniquity, the pattern of sinful behavior that has prevailed in that family. Sometimes a family will deal with alcoholism for generations. You'll just see this pattern of iniquity that develops over, over generation. Great-grandfather, grandfather, dad, and now the children are dealing with this thing. Sometimes it's gambling. The vice of gambling prevails in the family. Sometimes it's adultery or sexual immorality that prevails in the family. Sometimes you will see these patterns of iniquity that form in families, and they just seem to get passed down from generation to generation. And the Bible talks about them and, and says that they are a curse. The Scripture says that the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, but He will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the third and fourth generation and they will be cursed with the curse. And so really when you hear about people talk about generational curses, they're talking about iniquities that stay in someone's bloodline, in someone's family, spiritually, and get passed on from one generation to the next. And you don't have to be aware of this because there is there's some truths that you and I need to understand about generational curses. All right, are you with me this morning? First of all, I want you to understand this, that in the book of Ezekiel, the Lord changed his, uh, his law concerning iniquity. It, it, before Ezekiel, God said, I will judge uh, three or four generations on, for this iniquity. But in the book of Ezekiel, God said, every man will be responsible for his own sin. I'm not no longer going to judge the son for the sins of his father. So that means that you're not not directly accountable for the sins of previous generations. Say amen, somebody. However, the behavior patterns that are passed down from generation to generation, if you start acting out in them, now you are responsible for living in that iniquity. You're responsible now because you are, you are uh, acting out on that iniquity, and God says that that is a curse. But here's what the Bible also says, all right? And, and this is important. I don't want you to miss this because if you hear the rest of that, you don't hear this, you don't have any hope, all right? But here's what the Bible says. The Scripture tells us this, that Jesus died on the cross, and in Galatians chapter 3, it says that he bore our curse in his own body on the tree, for cursed is everyone who hangs upon the tree. And so he, he broke the curse of iniquity so that when you and I come to Jesus, the curse of that generation that has been passed down has been broken through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and now that no longer has power over your life. Say amen, somebody. 
What does that mean, Pastor? That means that you don't have to live under the power of iniquity. You don't have to live under the pattern that was set for you by somebody else. In fact, when you come to Jesus, he gives you a new pattern of life. He gives you a new way of thinking. He gives you a new way of processing. He gives you a new way of understanding, a new way of seeing. Say amen, somebody. And because the blood of Jesus is so powerful, it is able not only to wash you clean, but is also able to break the power of the pattern of sin and iniquity that is in your life. And so the battle that you and I have to win is uh, over iniquity has to be won through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. No one else can change you, friend, but God can. And here's the good news, that when you came to Jesus, you got the best help and the greatest help there is. Because Jesus can not only forgive you of your sin, but Jesus can actually rewrite the DNA of your family so that your family tree from this day forward can be blessed. Come on, somebody. You can have the blessing of God into your family now for generations. And you know, the Bible says this, that God cursed a family for three or four generations under the law. But he blessed them for a thousand generations. Isn't that good news? When the curse could only reach three or four generations, the blessing will reach into a thousand generations. That means that the moment you decided to come into Christ, the blessing of God came on you because you are in Christ. And now your children are blessed and your grandchildren are blessed and your great-grandchildren are blessed and their grandchildren are blessed. Come on, somebody. The blessing of God is now on your life. Now there's a third battlefield within that you and I have to deal with. And this is the battlefield of voluntary or willful sin. Now I know nobody in here is uh, willfully sinning. I pray not. But I have to talk about this this morning. Because when you and I uh, look at the scripture, we find out there's two types of sin. There are sins of omission and sins of commission. Now, a sin of omission is when someone sins, but they didn't know they were sinning, all right? They didn't know that they were uh, acting in a sinful way, and God still calls that sin. Say amen, somebody. So it's still sin, even if you didn't know it was. Uh, it's still sin. But then there are sins of commission. These are sins that are uh, voluntary. They're willful. That means the person knows that what I am doing is sinful, what I am doing is not approved by God, and they do it anyway. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, it says, For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer a sacrifice for sins, but the terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of the fire that will come upon the adversary. What is God saying there? God is saying to you and to me, if you want to go on sinning willfully, then the only thing that's going to be left for you is judgment. Today, you have the opportunity to break that cycle of willful sin in your life. And, you know, it's amazing to me when I think about this because in the Old Testament, there were some willful sins that had no sacrifice. Listen now. There were some sins in the Old Testament that there was no sacrifice for them. One of them was adultery. There was no sacrifice for adultery. Do you know what the remedy of the law was for adultery? Stoning. The only way to cover the sin of adultery was death. Now, 
Thank God that we are not under law, but under grace. Because Jesus not only came to cover sins that had a sacrifice, but he came to be the sacrifice for all sin. He came to cover sin, both sinful, uh, willful, and omitted. And if you and I will come to him by faith and ask him to forgive us of our sin, and if we will repent and turn away from willful sin, we can have freedom from that, and we can have the forgiveness of God this very day uh, through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so willful sin needs to be uh, acknowledged and it needs to be rejected. And when you repent of it, God will bring forgiveness and restoration into your life. Now let me just give you some examples here this morning. Because many times we are willfully sinning in an area that we want God to bless. And God won't bless an area where you're walking in willful sin. I'll give you an example. The Bible says that the tithe is the Lord. You know, that means that the tenth part of all that we earn belongs to God. And some people know that, but they've decided to keep the tithe for themselves. And so they are willfully walking in an area of disobedience. When they do that, they're saying, God, uh, I, don't want, I don't want you to bless this area of my life. And God won't bless that area of your life, friend. God won't bless your finances if you are willfully walking in disobedience to him. Other people want to have a blessed marriage, and they want to have a blessed married life, but they're, they're watching pornography on the Internet, and they're sinning willfully against God. And God says, no, I won't bless that area of your life. You're going to have to repent and reject that pattern of behavior in your life. Some people say, well, I want to have a, a, a companion. I want to have a blessed a union. And yet uh, you're living together, but you're not married. You're, li you're living in an area of willful sin. And God says, you're going to have to get this right. If you want me to bless you in this area, then you have to honor me in this area. Come on, somebody. Now, I know that that is not what we want to hear. But the fact is that when we, when we reject God's way in an area, all we have left is our way. And if you don't do it God's way, you have to bless yourself, friend. And that's not working out too well, is it? You know, there's some others who say, you know, well, I, I want God to, to bless me. I want to have this, this union. I want to have this companion. But it's a homosexual relationship. You know, friend, I don't... I don't, it doesn't matter how much you might be able to argue or justify it. God is not going to bless that. He is not going to bless a homosexual union. Not today, not now, not ever. You say, well, you know, if I give it enough time, God will change his mind. God will get a better idea. He'll get a, a, a more liberal perspective. No, friend, God's not going to change his mind about sin. You and I have to come in line with what God has done, what God has said in his word. And when you do that, now you can see the blessing blessing of God in your life. And so if these patterns of willful sin are going on in your life, you have to you have to reject them and you have to repent from them and let God begin to bring the work of restoration into your heart, into your life, friend, because as you do that, those strongholds are broken. That iniquity is broken. That pattern of, of, of loss is broken. And now you can begin to experience victory in your life. You can begin to experience the full victory that comes with those, to those who walk in obedience to God. You know what the Bible says? The Lord said to the, to the priest of Israel, those who honor me, I will honor. 
And those who despise me, I will greatly despise. God has a simple proposition for you this morning. If you want to win, you have to do it my way. Oh, it's quiet in here this morning. God said, if you want to win, you have to do it my way. You see, the only way to win is to win by playing according to the rule book. The Word of God has established how you and I can win. And if you want to win, God has given you a pattern for how to win. But He wants you to walk in that freedom, in that, in that win, uh, through uh, obedience to His Word. Now, there are three things that can hinder you from being able to win in any one of these areas in your life. The first one is pride. You know, pride will block you from winning every single time. When, when you and I rise up in our pride, we shut the door for God to get involved in our life. And you know, sometimes pride is ugly and it's, it's uh, obvious and we can see it. Sometimes it's very subtle. You know, sometimes pride dresses like humility and it, it rolls its, its lower lip. You know, I'm just so simple. I'm just, I'm a nobody. You know, that's just as much pride as the guy who says, I'm everything. And pride will, will block you from being able to win. Because the Bible says this, that the Lord looks afar at the proud. But he draws near to the humble. You see, David, the man of God who was the king of Israel... He sinned greatly, but he knew how to humble himself before God. And when he humbled himself before God, God forgave him every single time. Saul, on the other hand, sinned not as much as David, but he never could break his pride. He never could lay down his pride before God, and so he was unable to experience the full blessing of God. And you know, Jesus is going to be the, uh, the, the son of David, not the son of Saul, because David understood what it meant to humble yourself before God. And so pride will always block the ability of God to bring freedom into your life. And so if you're one of those people who says, you know what, I can't go talk to anybody about this. I can't tell anybody that, that what I'm dealing with. If I tell the pastor about this iniquity in my life, he's likely to throw me out of the church. Some people say, you know, if I go to church, the walls are going to fall down. You know, people, worse sinners than you have been coming to church for a long time. The walls still haven't fallen down, all right? You are not going to, you're not going to stop God from being God. Come on, somebody. So you have to lay down your pride and say, you know what? I don't care anymore. I got to get out of this thing. I've got to get freedom. I've got to get, I've got to get my liberty. I have to win. I'm tired of losing this game. I'm tired of losing in this battle. I want to have freedom. And when you're willing to lay down your pride and to do that which God has commanded, you can see a change in your life. You know, here at the church, we have a very important ministry. It's a it's a, uh, a, a small group that meets every Monday night to address issues of addiction in people's lives. It's called Overcomers. And, and you know, sometimes uh, you, you think you can overcome by yourself, friend. The fact is you can't overcome by yourself. You've got to have God's help. And you've got to have a, a, re, a, a support group that reassures you as you walk through this thing by yourself. Because you know what? You didn't get addicted by yourself, did you? 
Well, some of you aren't addicted, so praise the Lord. But you didn't get where you are in that mess by yourself, and you need some people to come around you and tell you, you know what, I did it, you can do it too. And this is what God did in my life. But you see, sometimes pride says, you know what, if I go to that church on Monday night, then people are going to know what I'm dealing with. Guess what, folks, they already know. You think you're hiding it? They already know. There's not enough bubble gum in the world to disguise the breath. All right, there's not enough, there aren't enough tricks in the bag to disguise what you're going through. They already know. They might as well know. God might as well know so he can deliver you and bring freedom into your life. So you know what? It's okay to lay down your pride because every person in here who's been freed had to one day come to this altar and lay down their pride and say, God, I can't. God, I'm done. I've, I've had enough. I'm broke. I'm busted. I'm, I'm disgusted with myself. And when you come to terms with all of that, God says, all right, we can talk now. You humble yourself before God. You know, the prophet told Naaman, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. And Naaman said, are not Abana and far, far better rivers than this murky, dirty Jordan River? He was saying, you know, God, I, I don't mind a, a solution. I just don't like your solution. Your solution means I've got to get down and I've got to get to the nitty gritty. I've got to get to the dirty parts of myself. But friend, the only way out is to come in humility before God and to say, God, if you will do it, I will follow you. And to say, God, I know that you can change my life and when you when you let him in and let him in completely he'll come and take control so lay down your pride if that is something that's blocking you from being able to win another thing that blocks people from winning is excuses I'm glad there aren't any excuse makers in here this morning say amen somebody you know, we like to justify ourselves with our excuses. People say, well, you know, I wouldn't be going through this uh, or uh, I, I wouldn't be like this if I didn't have these things going on in my life. Excuses. Well, yeah, I lost my temper, but you don't know the pressure I'm under. Excuses. You're trying to justify your behavior, trying to, trying to justify sin. And God says, look, if you want me to give you victory in this area, you've got to stop making excuses and take responsibility for what's going on in you. Take responsibility for what's going on in your life. You know, God came to Adam and Eve after they had fallen in the Garden of Eden, and Adam said, Lord, the woman that you gave me, Look at that man. He just washed himself clean of all the problems. Said, Good, this whole thing is in my fault. It's the woman that God gave me. If God hadn't given me this woman, we wouldn't have this problem. He's justifying himself. You know, we, we go to the priest Aaron, high priest Aaron, the high priest of Israel. Scripture says that the, 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 Moses came down from the mountain having received the Ten Commandments. And he sees Aaron uh, and he is uh, leading the people in worship of a, of a golden calf. And he says, Aaron, what have you done? And Aaron says, Moses, the people made me do it. He said, they gave me the gold. I threw the gold in the fire and out came this calf. 
He went from being an excuse maker to a liar. Trying to justify himself. You see, friend, all of those men who made excuses in the Bible were shutting themselves off from the blessing of God. They were shutting themselves off from the true remedy. So rather than try to make an excuse, just come to God with an open and a sincere heart and say, God, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm losing. I need your help. I need your strength. I'm looking at this the wrong way. I've got to have your perspective. I've got to have your word on this. Finally, one, the last thing that blocks some people from being able to win is that they do not submit to godly authority. See, friend, the Bible tells us this in Romans chapter 13, that everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. And there is no authority except that which God has established. And the authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. You know that when you and I submit to authority, that, that submission brings us under the authority of God. And we are able then to receive the blessing of God in our lives. A lot of people... Do not experience victory in their inner man for this reason. Listen, friend, you can't cast out the devil when you won't submit to authority yourself. Because the devil honors authority. If, if you try to tell the devil what to do and you're not under authority, then the devil knows he doesn't have to listen to you because you have no authority. But when you and I stand under authority, when you stand under the authorities that God has put in your life and you are submitted to them, then even the, the, the greatest of enemies can come against you and you will have the authority in the name of Jesus to drive them out of your life and out of your family. Are you listening to me? You've got to have the... You've got to have that heart that says, God, I'm going to submit to the authorities you have put in my life. You know, I heard the story about a, a governor. He went to a church, a church chicken dinner. And uh, when he was in line, he had had a long day. He asked the lady, he said, ma'am, could I have two pieces of chicken, please? She said, no, sir. Uh, it's one piece per person. And he said, uh, well, ma'am, did you know that I'm the governor of this state? And she said, well, did you know that I'm the lady in charge of the chicken? Yes, ma'am. You know, sometimes the authority is not very friendly. Sometimes it's not easy to be under authority, is it? Sometimes you have a boss that just, it's like sandpaper in your life. Sometimes you have authorities over you that the decisions don't make any sense. But God says, look, if you will honor the people that I have put over you, if you will submit to the authorities I have put in your life, you'll be able to walk in the authority that I have given you. And you'll be able to experience victory because you are walking under my authority. It may be uncomfortable sometimes, but instead of cursing your boss, bless him. Instead of cursing your husband, ladies, bless him. Instead of cursing your parents, guys, bless them. Understand, this is the authority God has put over my life. And when I submit to that authority, I'm going to walk under the full blessing 
of God. And when I pray, my prayers are going to have power. My prayers are going to have the energy of God himself because I'm going to be standing in his authority to carry out his word in my life. And friend, ultimately there is one great and final authority and that is the word of God. If you will get under the authority of this book and do life the way God says to do it, you will find victory after victory after victory. You will find that you will be winning and winning indeed. You'll win in your finances. You'll win in your marriage. You'll win with your children. You'll win in your job. You'll win in, our, in your community. And you'll be able to know that it was God who did it because you walked in obedience to his word. Who wins if you win? Who wins if you submit to God today? Who wins if you humble yourself and say, Lord, I need your help. I need it quick. I believe there's people in your life who are in desperate need of you to show them the way. They're looking at you and they're saying, if they can do it, I can do it. If they can overcome, I can overcome. I want you to know that when you decide, God, I'm going to do it your way. I want to have the win within. I want to have victory over the strongholds and the thoughts that the enemy puts in my life. I want to have victory over every iniquity so that nothing from my past is defining my future. I want to have victory over sin in my life so I can walk in victory and walk under the authority of God. Friend, if you will do that, I assure you there's people in your life who are going to be blessed just because of, of you doing that. You know, the Bible tells us that Abraham went to Egypt and God blessed Pharaoh. Joseph went to Egypt and God blessed Pharaoh so much that he built the empire of Egypt. Just because a believer under the authority of God went into that place and brought a blessing. That blessing led to triumph for so many other people. Now, I want to close this message with a simple example from our real life as a church. All right? And I hope uh, she won't mind this, but Sister Marianne, would you come here for a moment? Many years ago. Yeah, come on up here, please. Come stand with me over here. Many years ago, Sister Marianne and her husband, Sean, and their two boys were living in Rockdale. Is it right? Rockdale. And Brother Chano, we know him as Brother Chano, but he wasn't Brother Chano back then. He got involved with drugs. And he lost his family, and he lost his house, and he lost his cars, he lost his job. And he hit rock bottom. And if you ever met Chano, you, you didn't have to be around him long to hear this story. But Sister Marianne was praying for him. And for several years, they were apart. But she knew that if she won, he would win. Well, I want to ask all of you guys who are in Chano's small group to come up here with me. Come on up. Si usted, yeah, come on up. Estaba en el grupo de Chano, vengase. You guys stand on this side of me now. Ladies who are in Sister Marianne's group, if you're here, come on up. 
Look at this. Just stand on this side of me, please. This side, ladies. Over here. Over here. Over here. Yeah, over here. Mm-hmm. Now, what she didn't know, come on up, sister. What she didn't know was that when she won, over here, sister, Chano would win. And then when Chano won, all of these people would win. Sometimes from where you're standing, you can't see what God has on the other side. But you've got to decide, I've got to win. I've got to keep praying. I've got to keep fasting. I've got to keep waiting. Because if I win, they win. Now, you don't know, guys, all the people who are standing behind you. And if you win, they're going to win. And it'll be because some time ago, somebody decided, I'm going to hold on to God. And I know many of you this morning, you're standing alone. You might not feel like there's anybody around you to fight with you. But let me tell you, friend, if you win, there's an army of people that God is going to bless because of you. Stand strong. Stand firm. Stand in the fight. Get the victory. Submit to the authority of God. Tell him, Lord, if I have to wait, I'll wait. If I have to endure, I'll endure. If I have to trust, I'll trust. If I have to walk through dark valleys, I'll walk through them. But I want to see you bless not only my life, but the lives of all the people who you have desired for my life to touch. This morning, God wants you to have a win. And that win has been purchased, paid in full through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. All you have to do is take hold of it by faith. Would you stand with me, please? Now, thank you, guys. If y'all would come down here. Thank you. Here's what we're going to do this morning. Just stay up here, guys. We're going to. I want everybody to come into this altar. Everyone in the room, just come into this altar, please. Here's why. Because we're all dealing with something this morning. Your, your fight may not be as great as someone else's. It may be greater than someone else's. It doesn't matter. Everyone's much is much to them. And whatever it is you're facing this morning, just if you guys come a little closer, make some, I want everybody to come in. I want you to just feel this, the covering all around you. All of these people around you this morning, some of them have already made it through. Some of them are in the middle of the fight. Maybe you're just getting started this morning. But wherever you, it is you are, I want you to know you're not alone. And if God is for you, who can be against you? God has got you. And you know what you're fighting. You know what you're dealing with. You know the struggle. Maybe you're fighting discouragement or depression or loneliness or fear or anxiety. Maybe you're fighting sickness or disease. Maybe you're fighting an addiction. Maybe you're fighting against a, an iniquity that has followed your family for generations. I don't know what it is. But today I want to pray a prayer of freedom and deliverance over your life. And if there's something you need to repent of, nobody even needs to know about it. You just right there with God.
You just tell them what you're, what you're going through. If there's something you need victory in, just tell them what you need. Give it to him. If you would, just cl- close your eyes and lift your hands. When I'm done praying, the elders are going to come through and lay hands on you and pray for you specifically. Father, in the name of Jesus, we, your church, this morning come into this house of prayer because we know that you're the answer for us. We know that the blood of Jesus has guaranteed us the victory over sin, over the enemy, over sickness, and that that victory belongs to us right now by faith. I stand in the authority of the blood of Jesus this morning, and I stand in the power of Jesus' name to declare that every form of bondage must be broken, that every thought that contradicts the knowledge of God in the minds of God's people must go now in Jesus' name. Satan, you have no power over this body of believers. Our victory is guaranteed through the blood of Jesus Christ. We declare, Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. Our past will not define our future. Our past will not define our tomorrow because God is the author of our tomorrow. God will supply every one of our needs according to his riches in glory. We receive victory now in Jesus' name through the blood of his cross. We receive freedom from every form of addiction, every form of bondage. We declare that pride will bend its knee and will honor God today. We declare, oh God, that we will submit to the authority of your word. We will submit to the authority of what you have spoken we will honor you. We will find that those who honor you, you will honor. We receive that now in Jesus' name. Now you begin to pray just in your own words.